I used to believe Batman was responsible for you people. But now I see nearly everyone here would have ended up exactly the same, Batman or not. Oh, the gimmicks might be different, but you'd all be out there in some form or another bringing misery to Gotham. The truth is, you created him. Jury, you've heard the evidence. Consider your verdict. Your Honor, in light of Ms. Van Dorn's stirring defense, we have no choice but to find the defendant not guilty. that Batman didn't create us. That we, in fact, messed up our own rotten lives. And as we are so rotten, vile, and depraved, we're going to waste you anyway. <gasps> That's all, folks. Let's mumbo! Hey everybody, this is Jordan from Smallville Bad Cat Shipper. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. And you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. Now Tim. Dane. Uh, so we had the Oscars. Um, yes, we did. Nothing really that big to talk about. Except another year where... Star Wars movie doesn't win anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> one of these years. <laughs> well, maybe the third one is gonna it's gonna win something. Something at least the you know the technical stuff like yeah. Last Jedi, and Force <laughs> Awakens, and Rogue One were nominated for, but yeah. nothing. <laughs> now maybe I'm wrong here because I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, but of course I was rooting for Star Wars for the visual effects department. But if not, I think War for the Planet of the Apes really deserved it. Probably, maybe even more so with Star Wars. If I'm speaking, you know, as a non-biased Star Wars fan, yeah, <laughs> just you know, even not even for War of the Planet of the Apes, but just for the other two movies they did and how revolutionary that technology or those effects were, and just how realistic it is. The fact that none of them won anything to me is a darn shame. But like yeah. I said, maybe twenty Blade Runner twenty forty nine really deserved it. I haven't seen it yet, but just in the clips they were showing and some of the trailers I've seen for it, to me, didn't really blow me away as far as some of the effects in War for the Planet of the Apes. Well, I have seen Blade Runner 2049. I saw Planet of the Apes, and uh, uh, I saw Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to agree with you, Tim. I don't think Blade Runner 2049 okay. uh, deserve, <laughs> really deserved that Oscar. It, it definitely deserved the uh, cinematography one. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but as for the visual effects, the, the, there really isn't that much visual visual effects in that movie it's 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 more like a sci-fi movie if uh christopher nolan directed it you know how like his dark knight trilogy is more down to earth it's not really that like you know there's spaceships and you know all kinds of stuff um the reason why i think uh war for the planet of the apes didn't really win is because that movie doesn't really stick with you um it doesn't 
it, it doesn't stick with you the way Star Wars does. You know, it, it, it doesn't have that big thing, you know. Um, after you see it, you kind of just forget about it. Yeah, and I even think, too, where it's like the effects are too good that sometimes it's a loss that those yeah. are <laughs> CG yeah. um, motion capture performances as apes because <laughs> it looks too good. I mean, again, as a, to me, it's just a testament of how awesome those yeah. effects are. And, and, and so if you're asking me, I think Star Wars definitely deserved that one. I'm not sure who else was in that category. Um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was. In, uh, nah, not really. Well, those have great effects, too, I will say. But Yeah, but... And it's, uh, Kong it's, Skull Island, that was the other one. I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> that had good effects, too, but I kind of figured that wasn't going to win. <laughs> oh, you saw that? Mm-hmm. Um, is that the one with uh, uh, Brie Larson? Yeah, and uh, Samuel Tom Jackson, Hiddleston, Samuel Jackson, John Goodman. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked it. I mean, it's, it's you know what it is—a monster movie. It was entertained yeah. me, so <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, I saw it on HBO, and I was like, "Yeah, not for me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, they're building um, up. They're building up the monster universe. They're gonna have the Godzilla King Kong movie in a few years. So. Is that really gonna work? You know, I mean, is it? Why not? I mean, they're two monsters. Let's put them together for a cool <laughs> monster movie. Yeah, but they're two completely different monsters. I mean, I I I know how Godzilla sort of kind of wins. I guess the battle is he just That's stays what in I will water. Say. He just stays in the water. Yeah, (laughs) I will say that right now because I don't think you know King Kong can swim. (laughs) Of course, Godzilla could just use his fire breath on him. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. Like this is like a new, you know, Godzilla, and it's supposed to be more more or closer to the to the Japanese one, right? Yeah. So he has that electrical breath, or whatever that. Did you see the one from 2014? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, me too. But I wish they would have had a little more Godzilla in it. I mean, they kept it, you know, kept teasing you and teasing you until the finale. But other than that, I thought it was really good. Yeah, but you see, I actually liked that. It was more of a human story rather than, you know, oh, this big monster thing is going to come. Yeah. Because if you, if you think about it, that other Godzilla movie with, um, oh, what's oh, that guy's name? Uh, uh, not the one from 98 with Matthew Broderick? Yeah, Matthew Broderick. Oh, yeah, yeah that that was just them running away from Godzilla the whole yeah. time. This one, <laughs> this one was more of a human-based story, you know? Mm, yeah, that one I would agree with. I think that movie needs a sequel. I mean... It's getting one. It is? Yeah, it should it, come out next year. Is it uh, the original cast? I mean, the, I mean the, the, the cast from that? No, yeah, I think they're going with a whole new no. cast on this one. Except... Uh, Ken Watanabe is going to be back in it. I think he's the only yeah. returning one. Well, I mean, I, I guess he can't really have uh, Brian Cranston in there, right? So yeah. really <laughs> work. I remember that was another complaint about the movie that they killed him off too quick. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like that. I, I, you see, that's another movie you just totally forget about is uh, that Godzilla movie. I'm sure it's the same way with the, the King Kong movie. It just, you see it, you're entertained, and then that's it. Yeah. And again, to me, there's nothing wrong with having some movies like that. Unless, you know, I'm sure that it has a hardcore fans, too. Yeah. Who really like those type of monster movies, which is awesome. So, But I think, frankly, for us, it's kind of one of those things where... I mean, I own both of them on Blu-ray, but I have <laughs> only watched them once since <laughs> I got them on Blu-ray. But exactly. I'm glad I do have them. 
I'm sure that when the Godzilla sequel is about to come out, I'd want to revisit those again. So, yeah. But as for the Oscars, I mean, there's nothing really. I mean, uh, I guess Gary Oldman won. Finally, <laughs> that was yeah. nice to see. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Did uh, Dunkirk win win uh, anything? Edit it went, editing or something. It won for the the two sound categories: sound mixing and sound editing. Oh, oh, I see. Which I think is deserves. And you know, you know what I was thinking. You know the um, uh, what's that movie called? Uh, oh my, and I'm blank, I'm blanking on that movie's name. Uh, A recent one. Yeah, the the uh, the Churchill one, the the, oh, the one uh, uh, Gary Oldman won. Oh, okay, or, yeah. Uh, what's that? Was it Dar- Darkest Fears? Is it Darkest Darkest Hour? Yeah, Darkest, Darkest Hour. Hour. Yeah. yeah. What I was thinking is like, um, you know, like Andy Serkis, how how there was this big controversy. You know, he sh- he should have been nominated for like one of the acting, you know, mm. in the acting. Categories. I know I said that. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the same thing, where you know he uh, Gary Oldman was so, so like had so much prosthetics on, and, mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. Is, I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing? I don't know. You know what? You make a pretty good case there. I would agree. <laughs> you know, it is. They're still doing a performance. He's Gary Oldman doing a bunch of makeup, and Andy Serkis is doing it in motion capture. So yeah, I mean, to uh, me, that should really not pay play a factor. Listen, if you're giving a good performance, it's a good performance no matter what. And I think maybe a little more so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, for yeah. the motion capture stuff, for the more work they have to do with that. So hopefully one day the Academy will see and open their eyes that it's okay yeah. to nominate <laughs> someone, a great performance that's a CG character. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, because he's, like, pretty much in that, I guess prosthetic the whole time right oh yeah yeah so like it's i haven't seen the like movie but i imagine so <laughs> i mean at least andy circus was in one of those movies right i mean as as andy circus without the cgi mm-hmm. right so yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah and then i guess it was cool to see guillermo del toro's shape of water win best picture because i haven't seen it yet but the fact that it is kind of a more fantasy-based type <laughs> movie winning instead of your typical drama. Yeah, yeah I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how, if, 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 if that's any good or not. I've heard really good things about it. Then I've heard, I haven't heard that it's bad, but I've heard some people who kind of saw it later saying, you know, might have been a little too overhyped for them. So yeah. maybe kind of going with some expectations in check and not expecting the greatest thing ever. But Did you see any of the um, uh, Best Picture nominees? No, except well, yeah, Dunkirk. That was the only one. Oh, was it? Um, hold on, I'm trying to bring up a list of the uh, of the best picture nominees. Uh, yeah, The Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, which is the only one I saw was Get Out. Okay. Um, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and then uh, three billboards outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri. I was really hoping Logan would get in there. We <laughs> <laughs> got best adapted screenplay, which is we I mean, didn't win, but it got nominated, which is yeah. cool. Best but, adapted um, screenplay. Call me by your name. That that one. That uh, the disaster artist. Uh, Molly's game. Mudbound. 
yeah, it was even cool to see around like the during the like the the reading the nominations hearing you know the names of comic book writers like Lynn Ween on there. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like at the Oscars <laughs> for uh, Logan. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, a uh, story by James Mangold based on characters from the X Men comic book. Yeah, okay. So, oh, so they 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 read out uh, uh, whoever the creators were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, which is cool to hear. I didn't know it 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 worked like that. Like you. you that's considered. Uh, I mean, even though it's a totally original movie, it's um, you still have. I mean, it's still based on, or it's still a adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it's a totally original movie. Yeah, barely more. It's you know, even though its character is not specifically created for that movie, but taking it from something <laughs> in this yeah. case, book, so it still falls into that category. Wait, let me look up the uh, visual effects. Okay. Um, yeah, Blade Runner 2049, Guardians of the Galaxy, Kong, Star Wars. Oh, so so that was all the, the nominees then. And then uh, War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, so I didn't forget one. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I got them. Yeah, Which so... Which I think are the deserving ones for that category. Yeah, and so nothing really to talk about. I... I think we covered it where it's more disappointed in the movie that I was hoping to win in Little War. Oh, you know. wow. Um, Margot Robbie got a uh, Best Actress nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for I, Tanya. Uh, too bad she didn't win that one. <laughs> it was also cool to see Mark Hamill up there with uh, Oscar Isaac and Kelly Marie Tran presenting an award. And then BB-8 rolls up to join them <laughs> to Which, present the... Which uh, award? I think they did uh, the animation stuff. No, that like best animated sense. short and then animated yeah. movie. That that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark Hamill is a, does voice acting animation, so maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. So that's our Oscar report. <laughs> that's our Oscar report. <laughs> Nothing interesting. <laughs> Uh, but now we can move on to our uh, minute by minute commentary, or Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. Uh, we're going from minutes hundred to hundred and one, so we're breaking ground, Tim. Yep, we've we're, done you know, stepping across to a new plateau. We've done a hundred and one of these. Um, so, of course, as always, grab your VHS copy. Grab. You know what I forgot to mention, Tim? I don't know if I mentioned this in our last in our last episode or whatever, but I had to get a, a a USB stick, right? Okay. And so I wasn't near a Best Buy, but I was near a Office Depot. And so I I went in, and then I'm like, I'm I'm by the computer stuff. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm looking for a USB, and I. I kind of go. Uh, I, I pass by the um, the software section, okay. and I look down, and you know what I see, Tim? What? I see a VHS to DVD converter. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that works. I don't know how you convert a VHS into DVD, but yeah, apparently they make the, uh, the there's a program for that. Yeah, I've heard of stuff like that. I mean, my brother's done stuff like that. Really? He's trans like old like VHS home videos and stuff 
like just to put them on like computer, <laughs> make computer files <laughs> on them and transfer DVDs with some family members and stuff. But he he never got any programs up. He just did it himself through like connecting the VC, through cables to connect the VCR to the PCs or whatnot. I don't know exactly how he did it, but <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. So how do you connect like a USB cord to your VHS player? There's a lot of cables and <laughs> yeah. connections of that he used for it. Oh, probably <laughs> like the like the 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 AV cables have to like connect and the ins and outs and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What else? What also surprised me was, or or at least when I went into the Office Depot, was how much, like, um, you know how like if you buy a new iPhone, uh-huh. uh, it comes with a charger and the headphones and stuff. How yeah. many like other companies make um, iPhone stuff? Like there's like, like third party, yeah, like third companies, party uh, companies. Generic stuff. <laughs> Yeah, they make like uh, the split connector, so you can charge like three iPhones on on one of those little boxes. Uh-huh. and like the the headphone splitter, because you know the new iPhones don't have the uh, headphone uh, jack. Headphone jack, yeah, and the the, the converter to convert um, your uh, headphone jack or your um, I don't know charging thing and your headphones to the headphone jack and all kinds of stuff so yeah surprised me yeah <laughs> I, um, I was about to ask how much was that vhs dvd uh converter uh 9.99 oh that's it wow yeah, ten dollars <laughs> there was only one i only saw one and it wasn't in the spot it was supposed to be in oh, so, <laughs> it was in the wrong spot. yeah so maybe it was the wrong price tag on it <laughs> yeah yeah so i i don't know too <laughs> <laughs> If you really need to convert a VHS tape into... <laughs> so, yeah, if you're watching Dark Knight Rises on VHS and you just want to make that next jump <laughs> in the format, <laughs> you might want to consider getting it so you can translate the DVD. That's kind of funny, though. You're you're converting a, a dead media format into another dead media yeah. format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is also true. Um, but, yeah, just grab your uh, VHS copy... Grab your DVD or your VHS to DVD copy. Yeah. I think that's going to be a new one. Yeah. <laughs> VHS converted to DVD copy. Grab your DVD copy. <laughs> grab your Blu-ray copy. Grab your projector. Grab your Laserdisc. Grab your HD DVD. Grab your, Net- your Netflix physical media subscription and your Gamefly subscription DVDs. And blockbuster. blockbuster yeah. I totally forgot. <laughs> Hollywood video also. Hollywood, video. <laughs> Hollywood video and blockbuster rentals. So so just just grab that. Just queue it over to the hundredth minute and I'm gonna give a countdown. So Tim, are you ready? I got all those formats ready to go, <laughs> synced up and I'm ready to plan all of them. In particular the VHS to DVD conversion yeah, so- <laughs> converted copy. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, three, two, one, hit play. The inmates in Arkham are storming out of, or not Arkham, Blackgate. Yeah, Blackgate Prison. It's it's Looks, it's weird. It's right in the middle of the city. It seems like. I think all those people marching out to get uh, VHS to DVD converters. Right they just heard about it. They just got to start upgrading the format. You see, they're, they're, they're not trying to rob that guy. They're trying to find his VHS DVD yeah. converter. Because they know always a ritual habit. 
but all joking aside, there's our first look barely at, you know, Jonathan Crane again, even though he's really in the background. The only reason I found out, I unfortunately got spoiled that he was in it. So if I didn't know when yeah. I first saw that sequence, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't have any idea he's there yet. I wonder if that's actually Killian Murphy or if that's just a stand in. For that wide shot? Yeah. <laughs> that autofocus yeah. shot? Mm hmm. And there's it. Yeah. <laughs> so no Batman. We haven't seen Batman in, I'd say, at least yeah. 10 episodes. <laughs> I don't know if it's that many, but at least three or close to five, maybe. Because even at this point where Bane's giving that speech for a few episodes now and Gordon and Blake. so Oh, yeah. Right, right. It has been a while. All right. So, um, Tim, why don't you tell everybody about our featured topic for this episode? Yeah, so for this episode, this is a future topic I'm, of course, going to be excited about because it's going to be dealing with Batman the Animated Series. But for this one, it's going to be a little different. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to kind of share our thoughts and even memories about Batman villains we were first introduced to through Batman the Animated Series. So not talking about villains that were created specifically for the Animated Series, but just any villain in general. The classics, new, new ones, doesn't matter as long as we first saw them in Batman the Animated Series because um, for me and I know a lot of fans this was an exposure our first exposure to a lot of Batman mythology villains and characters so I know for me on the villain front there was quite a few that I first saw and left an impression on me that's become you know recognizing the classic Batman villains and becoming some of my favorites too so gonna go ahead and go over those some of the ones that you know left the biggest impression on me seeing it for the first time so um, to start off I guess I'll I got five of them. Dane, I don't know if you have that many. <laughs> yeah. I, it, when I or when you sent over the show notes, uh, I was just kind of trying to think back because maybe I'm just melding two different memories into one mm -hmm. and um, kind of had a hard time. Um, and I wanted to pick somebody that wasn't, you know, like Sub-Zero. I mean, I'm not Sub <laughs> Mr. Freeze, right? Um so I I came on to uh or I, I, I sort of realized that probably the first villain was Mad Hatter. Mm, I okay. never I'd never seen him before. I don't think I'd uh read any comics with him. And I, I, I thought it was just for the animated series that they created him for. Um the other yeah. one Oh, so I was going to ask real quick about Mad Hatter. Did you see him in the first episode? He appeared in Mad as a Hatter, or was it Perchance the Dream? Uh, probably Perchance the Dream. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the second one uh, I came across was uh, Clayface. Yep. That, on my list. <laughs> yeah, that was my first introduction to Clayface because I don't think I'd read him in a comic before. Um, also, I couldn't eat uh, oatmeal. Uh, <laughs> brown sugar you know the brown sugar oatmeal I couldn't yeah, eat that uh, for I'd say like a couple months after that because of the cream you know the, <laughs> the cream wow Clayface traumatized you in you know, such a horrible way <laughs> yeah um, so yeah Clayface um, and I, uh, also I didn't know that there were different versions of Clayface I, I just thought it was you know just the one Clayface right Yep. Um, Same here. And then I want to say, um, 
Man, I just lost it. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. Tim. So, okay. So you can give your list, yeah. I'll give a few of mine, yeah. So these are going to be like, – so I got five of them. I'll start from number five leading up to you know my favorite villain that I first got introduced to the animated series. So number five, I'm going to go with Mambat, the first – you know, villain we ever saw in, in the animated series with the first episode on Leather Wings. And I always felt it was a perfect villain to use for the first episode, you know, kind of the opposite of Batman. You got, you know, instead of the man trying to be like a bat, you got, uh, or, you know, pretend he's still a man, but he's dressed up like a bat. Where oh, the opposite Tim, of Matt Tim, Matt. I, just remember, the Matt. I, yeah, I just remembered it before I forget it again. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't no want to interrupt you. Um, it was uh, Killer Croc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know Killer Croc was in the comics until I saw um, until I saw Batman the animated series. Um, and uh, remind me if I who who was Killer Croc? As far as his real name, yeah, uh, Waylon Jones. Yeah, Waylon Jones, and the Clayface was uh, Matt Hagen. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So yeah, that, he, that was the other one. And even though you don't want to say the typical. And to like Mr. Freeze, was yeah. the animated series your first exposure to him? Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Also, Mad Matt, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, because characters like Mr. Freeze and Mad Hatter, yeah. I knew of them through the Adam West show, mainly, mainly Mr. Freeze because he was in more episodes. So it wasn't like when I saw him for the first time in the animated series, like, oh, I never heard of these characters, but they're cool. It was like, oh, okay, they're using characters from the Adam West show that I remember. Oh, <laughs> so really? I, yeah. Oh. Yeah, like I, I had no idea that there was Killer Croc or there was this this guy named Matt Hagen that became Clayface, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, oh, man, I, to- <laughs> I totally forgot about it. Uh, uh, Hugo Strange. I didn't know Hugo Strange was in That's the a good choice. Yeah. yeah. Same as me. Mm-hmm. And... Am I just misplacing it, or was um, uh, Maxi was Maxi Zeus uh, made for the animated series, or was he in the comics? No, he was a comic villain. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. I've got he was one where I, I actually had him on like my honorable mentions list of <laughs> where uh, he was one when I first saw him. Like, man, this is a crazy type villain where I'd never heard of him either. Yeah. And it made me wonder if he was in the comics and he was. And I remember reading him in the issue of nightfall. I think it was the second part where everyone's running out of Arkham and he runs into a tree and breaks his nose <laughs> like that. But he was one of those characters that was totally out there and made me even wonder, you know, it was, he felt like a Adam West style type villain. <laughs> he yeah. showed up in the animated right. series, but oh, he was from the comics. Yeah. You see, that's really weird that you thought that, um, you know, like Mr. Freeze was, I mean, um, or that you had prior knowledge to who Mr. Freeze was. Yeah. I mean, besides from the classic villains that I just remember always knowing about, you know, Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin, Two-Face, like those are the basics, which of course showed up in the Adam West series as well. But there was some through the Adam West series who, you know, aren't so prominent Batman villains like Mr. Freeze and, Mad Hatter at the time when they showed up in the anime series. Oh, that's cool to use them. Even Clock King too. He was another one who I remembered oh, first yeah. from the Adam West show. Yeah, that's right. The Clock King was um, was in the animated series. Yeah, um, so those are the episodes where I go, oh, that's cool. They're using villains from the Adam West shows, but doing it so much better <laughs> portrayed though. 
Now, am I just re- misremembering something or sort of combining, you know, um, Hellboy with uh, Batman the Animated Series, but was, was Ron Perlman the voice of Clayface? Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. He was, right? Uh, oh, he must yeah, have been he... like a young Ron Perlman. Yeah. <laughs> he's great in the role. I mean, he's, yeah. I think his voice is perfect. And when I'm reading Detective Comics <laughs> the last year or two with Clayface, part of the team, he's the voice I hear in it. It's the one I'm most used to, and I think it just fits it so perfectly. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, <laughs> is there any other villain? See, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's definitely we're going to have some similar ones because after Man Bat and before, let me just finish up on Man Bat real quick. I just remember thinking it was so cool that there was actually a human like Batman, but taking becoming an actual bat monster, almost taking Batman to the next level in a way, which I never knew about and seeing Batman fighting an actual bat monster and having the names be opposite instead of Batman, Man Bat. I always thought that was cool. And again, thinking it's the perfect character or villain to introduce in the first episode of the animated series so that was my first exposure to bat man bat and just left an impression on me of the new villain who was the more monster type but yet still a cool full foe for batman to face so i always um, have man bat up there as far as being one of the cooler villains that were introduced to the animated series but like you killer croc was my next choice i mean it's kind of going into you know the, the little the monster villain area with killer croc man bat and later i'll have clayface on there where were villains you just never heard too much before as a kid as you know my comic collecting as was a little limited <laughs> as i was growing up before the animated series came on and like i said before many times on this episode the untold legend of the batman comic which is you know, my encyclopedia of batman knowledge as a little kid which they had this comic they had this page in one of the comics that had pictures of all the villains that batman faced and there was a lot that i didn't recognize and then once the animated series came on and I would be introduced to villains like Clayface and, you know, uh, other characters, because I don't think Man Bat or Killer Croc were in that panel I was talking about. But <laughs> there was other villains who I wasn't too familiar with who would show up in the animated series. And I'd always reference that page in the comic saying, oh, OK, so they were older Batman villains in the comics I just didn't know about. So that was my reference guy when I would see a new villain show up in the animated series. I would go to that comic and check out to see if they were in that page of the untold legend of the Batman where they had a splash page of all these villains on there and see if they were referenced in old comic book characters. So that was my go-to. And speaking of the untold legend of the Batman real quick, just got to give a quick shout out to the Holy Batcast podcast. They just had an episode dedicated to that series and they did a fantastic job because I said so much how that series is so underrated and so important to me as a Bat fan. And to see it recognized on their episodes and have a good discussion on that was really cool. So definitely check out the latest episode of Holy Batcast on the Untold Legend of the Batman to find out why I love that series so much. If you haven't heard me talk about it enough on here. <laughs> but yeah, so I got Man Bat, I got Killer Croc. I just remember being surprised with Killer Croc. Oh man, like a lizard type villain <laughs> part of Batman's rogues gallery. That's kind of cool. And, but I know they changed his story a little bit with the whole vendetta against Bullock, hence the name of the episode he showed up in Vendetta. But it was still visually another cool Batman villain to face when I saw him for the first time. Now, for my number three pick, Dane, this might surprise you. I don't know if it's similar for you, but this is probably the most well-known Batman villain that I was introduced to. <laughs> it's, the the, it's, it's the Joker, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> 
I never heard of him before. <laughs> I was so surprised and even kind of confused. Why would this clown cause so much trouble for Batman? This doesn't seem realistic. For him. <laughs> but no, it was actually Rachel Ghoul. Really? Yeah. I've never really heard of him until that. I mean, he showed up at the very end of the episode off balance where Batman met Talia and they had to fight Count Vertigo and he shows up at the end. And I didn't know who he was like, oh, OK, they're teasing a new villain. <laughs> to show up later on and there was a few episodes until uh, or a few episodes he had to wait until he showed up again in the two part of the demons quest and I, if i remember right i think i missed them when they first aired so i had to wait till they showed up on repeat <laughs> i just remember talking to some friends when they said oh you didn't see the episode uh, the new batman episode where they had rachel ghoul and uh, who's rachel ghoul like the guy who they tease at the end of off balance like he came back I'm like oh okay <laughs> but that seeing those episodes and this after really liking those episodes and again going back to that page on the untold legend of the batman rachel ghoul's face was there it's like oh okay so he's another one of a old classic batman character and then finding out just you know how big that story was when it was written by denny o'neill and this how i remember that was one of the first comics or episodes of batman the anime series where i found out how much it was like the comics it was adapting from. This is how a lot of stuff was beat for beat in some of the stories, especially in that first episode where Batman is looking for Robin. And then, of course, the finale with Batman and Rachel Ghoul's duel and just how much they took from those comic books. So that was my first exposure to Rachel Ghoul and just how important of a Batman villain he was. And then, of course, you know, his legacy that he's carried on since then. So Rachel Ghoul is probably the biggest one that I got introduced to through the animated series. And then number two on my list is one you mentioned, Dane, Clayface. I remember just being blown away <laughs> of a villain that was like Clayface, seeing it for the first time. And even though it's kind of late, or not super late, I should say, but it's a few episodes away in the episode order of Batman the Animated Series, but it aired during the first week of its premiere. So you know how the air dates are always airing episodes out of order from their production standpoint. So Feet of Clay aired the first week of Batman the Animated Series run. It was a two-parter. We got Tuesday and Wednesday. I remembered when they aired. And I just remember seeing Clayface show up for the first time and just being in awe of his powers of shape-shifting and the weapons he can create. I mean, I remember seeing when he created like that, those metal blades coming out of his hand for the first time. I was like, wow, wow, this is like the greatest Batman villain ever. I mean, he's unstoppable. I just remember my brothers being so excited that when we, you know, as little kids try to play Batman and certain villains, we all I mean, want to be Clayface, <laughs> like because he'd be the unstoppable villain and no one can beat us. So Clayface blew my mind when I was a little kid, and he was again one of those characters who I found out okay he has a history. If I didn't find out till like you way later that there was multiple Clayfaces, and then okay, kind of, good, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> no. <laughs> And that's even how they incorporated all the different versions of Clayface into one character in the animated series. So uh, it, I just grew more of appreciation for what they did for him later on when I found out, you know, how they incorporated those different versions and did what they did with the characters. So, yeah, Clayface was a big one for me, just being exposed to like type of villain like that for Batman who could shapeshift and be a real threat to him. It was like, wow, as a nine-year-old kid at the time, it was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and then number one. Not only is he one of my favorite Batman villains, but he is my second favorite Batman villain. It's the Scarecrow. It all started with Batman the Animated Series. 
And yeah, this maybe because the episode he was first premiered in that I first saw him in was so good. It left a strong impression on me. The episode, uh, nothing to fear where he into, infuses his toxin on Batman, which makes him, you know, fearful that his father, you know, is not proud of him. It's just such a great concept. And then this, the powers of Scarecrow of how is kind of comparable to Batman, but in a different way where he uses fear when Batman uses fear as well against the criminals. So I just like how they're kind of similar, but they both go about it in a different way. And, even scared the appearance of Scarecrow, I always liked it. And what, of course, we know it went through different incarnations <laughs> throughout the series. It just got better and better. But there's the concept of the character and the way he looked. Even the voice acting <laughs> for Scarecrow, I always, even as a little kid, always appreciated and liked too. So this, my love for Scarecrow all began with Batman the Animated Series. And, you know, one of the many reasons I'm thankful for it is <laughs> how important this series is to me. It's exposing me to all these great new characters and villains at the time that I had no idea existed because I got to say even as you know a little kid before Batman the anime series came on I considered myself a big Batman fan and thought I knew you know (laughs) uh, the gist of the character and most of his rose gallery but boy was I a naive little kid thinking that because (laughs) the world of Batman was just opened up in great new ways that I never knew existed as it introduced these great characters so yeah it's which is as I think about it right now and thinking of this list is just how amazing not only Batman's rogue gallery is, but just what an awesome job Batman the Animated Series did introducing them to a whole new generation of Batman fans growing up and just seemingly integrating them with the classic Batman villains that I knew of already, like Joker, Penguin, Two Face, and Catwoman. Almost to a point because it was like as I was watching it, I was waiting to see those characters. Like I couldn't wait to see the Joker. I couldn't wait to see Penguin. I couldn't wait to see Catwoman, especially those three, since they were in the last two movies, live action Batman movies. So, but as I was really anticipating and waiting to see those villains, it didn't, you know, I didn't complain at all that we were getting these new villains like Man Bat, Clayface, Scarecrow, Killer Croc. As as I waited to see those classics villains, seeing these ones being introduced to me for the first time, you know, just it was just awesome. Where it wasn't. I appreciated what they were doing, and that's why I just love the series so much, introducing these characters to me for the first time that have become, you know, just classic Batman villains in their own right, a lot of them. And they just make up what is arguably, and to me, I don't think very arguably, but you could probably do it, <laughs> make an argument with Spider-Man and his rogues gallery. But the best rogues gallery in all of comics, probably all of fiction, too, is Batman. And I got my exposure to it through the animated series, which I am forever grateful for. Yeah, I, I, guess, I, I, I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I mentioned how Maxi Zeus was on my honorable mentions list. Yeah. I forgot to mention the ventriloquist too, because he was another one <laughs> that no. I first got introduced here, and didn't think he'd be a comic book uh, villain who showed up before, but there he was. But my first exposure to him was the animated series, and now I wouldn't say he's up there with the classic Batman villains, but he's a known one. Who <laughs> you know, it's always fun to see pop up in certain stories. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I also think because of the animated series, um, it it sort of like raised the, I guess, the profile of these villains, where, whereas Definitely. like I think if it wasn't for the animated series, it, th- these villains would just, you know, just be used as a bit part of a backup story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're right, where if this was really, you know, 
if Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, Eric Domsky, and Paul Dini, if they weren't involved as the big comic book fans that they were, I don't know if he would have gotten this where let's say Warner Brothers just put anyone in charge of the series and they're just all they cared about was, you know, you know, marketing with the movies and creating toys for it, not about the stories and stuff. We probably would have just gotten story after stories with those classic Batman villains we know about all the time and we would just get repetitive. But the fact that, you know, we had Batman fans and comic book lovers like uh, the creators in Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Eric Radomsky and Alan Burnett involved with it from the get go. I got to believe that's the strong reason why we were introduced to these sometime obscure, unknown Batman villains. But as you said, you know, just gaining popularity because of the animated series. There's so many people seeing them for the first time. So got to be thankful for that, too, <laughs> with the creative team put in charge of the show really, really knew what they were doing, to say the least. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, while we're on the subject of the animated series, um, it, it's it's so great how it, it it's not just nostalgia. I mean, you can go back yeah. and you can watch it, and it's still great. I mean, not every single episode, but you know, the mm. the good ones, you can still go back and watch them. Which, uh, you know, with this whole Disney um, uh, streaming service that they're going to put out, a I'm wondering if they're going to put like the um, the Spider Man animated series on there or even the x-men one right Mm, i Um, hope so (laughs) i'm just wondering if like those animated series like if you go back on or if it's the it's just nostalgia and you just don't get it nowadays or if it's still good well i've rewatched those not too long ago and x-men i think definitely still holds up it's a little more censored i guess and kid-friendly than batman the animated series was (laughs) but the storytelling and there and the voice acting is still really really good the spider-man um that's probably even more censored (laughs) than (laughs) x-men is as far as what they could do but man the animation does not hold up a lot in the episodes sad to say because that was one of the early shows that incorporated the 2d with the 3d backgrounds and it's a lot of it doesn't look good. And then later on, they would re- recycle footage a lot. And it got to a distracting <laughs> point. Where like, Man, I've seen this too many times already. <laughs> but there's still some great stuff in Spider-Man the Animated Series. I still love it. But it just it's not doesn't hold up quite on the level as Batman the Animated Series. That's just, it's just timeless. Maybe we should go back to Spider-Man 3, Tim. Oh, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, no. I, I Yeah, should probably talk more about the animated series of Spider-Man than <laughs> going back to Spider-Man 3. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, that oh, was, sorry. Uh, you know, our responses for it. But before I guess we can move on from the future topic, got a few uh, responses about uh, favorite Batman villains that are introduced to the animated series from some of our listeners and followers on Twitter. So I wanted to go ahead and share those also. First up, we got a response from Osang at what Osang saw on Twitter. Uh, she said, definitely Harley Quinn, also the Mad Hatter. And then Deron Murphy at Deron Murphy says, my Batman fandom was cemented when I was introduced to Mr. Freeze and Two-Face through the animated series. The show did an excellent job in capturing the villain's personalities. 100% agree with you there, Deron. <laughs> and then the doctor at Dr. Girlfriend says, uh, Batman the Animated Series was my first Batman anything, so I was introduced to all the villains through it. My favorites have always been the Scarecrow and the Mad Hatter. I love Scarecrow's hammy personality and second spooky costume. 
and the Hatter episodes were so tragic on his loneliness, it was relatable. I'm still disappointed they never team, had a team-up episode. They were both theatrical, had similar themes in their costumes and weapons, and were always hanging out together in the background of episodes. And yeah, that was a great point <laughs> by the doctor, because I never really thought about how good a team-up episode the Mad Hatter and Scarecrow would have been. <laughs> and she's right, there's definitely a lot of episodes like uh, Trial, where their team, there's a lot of villains together. You always see the Mad Hatter and Scarecrow kind of in the backgrounds, <laughs> but... I would have loved to have a Mad Hatter Scarecrow team up. I mean, that would have been awesome. But, you know, as we got in the responses said, how Batman the Animated Series was just cemented fandoms and was their first exposure to all the villains, not just a few of them. I mean, that just, I think that's even more awesome for a fan to go through to have a set of the villains or along with the villains that we've mentioned, but to have your first exposure to the Joker and Two-Face through the animated series and knowing how such a phenomenal job they did with those villains. I mean, you can't ask for a better <laughs> first exposure to villains like that than the animated series. So that was awesome to hear. So thank you guys for responding to letting us know your choices uh, of what your favorite villains were from the animated series and how you're exposed to them. Some cool stuff. So thank you for chiming in. And, and, and what about, um, um, Jim Bob Squarepants, whatever his name is. Yeah, we didn't get a response from Jim Bob this time. But yeah. Maybe he just missed the tweet. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's just fun saying his Twitter name. <laughs> yeah, Jim Bob Squarepants. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, that's it for a future topic for this episode. It's a good one, Tim. I'll thank you. Um, but now we can move on to our news and discussion topics. Uh, not really that much. Um, uh, but I guess the biggest one, or the biggest one, is that... Uh, I guess it is keeping in with the villain theme we have going on for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or maybe what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna make her, uh, you know, j- just as Wonder Woman's friend. And then at the end, they're going to make her into a villain. Hmm. I don't know. Because, well, first off, I guess we should say... Oh, yeah. You know, Kristen Wiig is, <laughs> has been cast as Tita in Wonder Woman 2. And if we didn't get the tweet from Patty Jenkins yesterday, I would maybe kind of go with that theory or have a little more you know, reason to believe that that might be the case. But the fact that Patty Jenkins confirmed Kristen Wiig has been cast as Cheetah, saying, you know, in the tweet, I think she even had the hashtag of Cheetah in there. <laughs> it made me think that Cheetah is going to be the big villain of the film as far as not just teasing it at the end, but at some point, maybe in the middle, we'll see her transform into Cheetah. So I'm kind of thinking she is going to be the focal point of the movie as far as the main villain goes. Yeah, and that's the problem with Wonder Woman. My only problem with Wonder Woman is that it doesn't have a memorable villain. It's, you know, Ares. You know? So, Mm -hmm. like, maybe Kristen Wiig as Cheetah will, will be the or be a good thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited for it because it just coming off the recent Greg Rucker run on Wonder Woman when Reaver started out, Barbara Ann and Wonder Woman started out as close friends and being one of the first people, you know, she interacted with when she came to man's world and just, you know, how close they were, but then her becoming cheetah and obviously (laughs) becoming enemies and causing problems with that friendship. So I kind of hope they do 
go in that direction where we do see her as Barbara Ann for a little bit first and show that they she is a friend of Diana before she becomes the cheetah. But how are you on Kristen Wiig as being cast as cheetah? Because I got to be honest, this is another casting choice where I'm not too familiar with the work of Kristen Wiig. I know who yeah. she is, but I haven't actually seen her in anything. So <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, out of, a little bit in the dark as far as her uh, acting that I've seen. But I know she's done a lot of comedies and that's kind of gotten still fans fearful about this choice and questioning oh the casting, God. which is like, really, we're still having <laughs> questioning casting choices now where all the times people or bands have done that and been proven wrong like uh, like i'm not even gonna go there worried about it even though i haven't yeah. seen kristen wig and anything and know she's mainly known for comedies i'm still my full confidence in patty jenkins choice of casting her i'm just gonna wait and see so i'm totally okay with it well let's put it this way um you can you i'm sorry i'm just gonna say it wonder woman is the best dc movie uh, right now, um, yep. it's not Man of Steel. It's not Batman vs Superman. It's not Justice League, and it's definitely not Suicide Squad. Well, I can make uh, an argument. Wonder for Woman, Man of Steel, but that's a not really. Discussion. No, I don't think so because that movie falls apart towards the end. Wonder Woman is a complete movie. Yeah, it, it doesn't have a real memorable villain, but Wonder Woman, a superhero movie, shouldn't be about its villain. Um. Wonder Woman is the best movie that DC has put out, and uh, they needed that movie really, really badly to be, oh, to yes. be really, really good. <laughs> um, so, with that being said, anything Patty Jenkins does is right in my book. Uh, it doesn't matter what Kristen Wiig has done before. Like you, I, I, I haven't really seen her in anything. Um, I haven't really even seen her on SNL that much. Yeah, I mean, um, either. I really don't watch SNL unless there's a good music act on. And even then, I forward through all the skits. <laughs> yeah, so any anything Patty J has done does from this point forward is good with me, you know. And she she made a great movie, and I trust that she'll make another good movie, and I trust that she'll cast the movie really well, which she's she has shown to have already done. So, yeah, I, I'm totally on board with Kristen Wiig. I don't, I don't really have any objection. I can't have any objection because Patty Jenkins did it. Did made the best DC movie right now. I'm sorry, it's that that's just the truth. It's it's Wonder Woman is a complete movie and it's a it's a great movie. So I have no complaint. right there with you so now yeah. we just gotta wait to see <laughs> as far as you know see her in action as far in cheetah as far as first pictures and tra- trailers and all that so i think they're supposed to be start filming this summer by red right so yeah oh maybe we'll get some set pictures and all that <laughs> and it's it, it's actually pretty good to see you know an actress being cast like uh you know Kristen wig being cast and people not complaining about her hair color <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they find something else to complain about, which is equally as frustrating. It's like every, <laughs> like like Poison Ivy. Okay, so Jessica Chastain, right? Because she has red hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or uh, Lois Lane, you know, it's black hair. So a black uh, a, a brunette actress, right? Mm, yeah. So only brunette <laughs> actresses can play Lois Lane. <laughs> because there's no such thing as dyeing your hair. No way. No way. To- <laughs> 
there's no CG effect that can do that. It, it, it's just like the sequel to it, right? How like <laughs> Jessica Chastain is going to be playing uh, um, the, the grown-up version of um, the girl in that. Um, you know, actresses actresses can uh, cut their hair a and b <laughs> they can they can color their hair any color they want. You know, so yeah. And yeah, even in the case of like Amy Adams, who didn't dye her hair, just kept her yeah. natural hair color. That that really distracted me from the movie. I mean, oh, I could not totally. focus on it. It was, <laughs> it was it was a deal breaker. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the, you know, she she doesn't only have to be a great actress, right? She also has to have the right exact exact to to the microscopic level colored <laughs> hair. <laughs> They do full-blown examination on hair color and the dye of your hair. <laughs> just yeah, to make so, sure. So, you know what? I'm against this cheetah casting because <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to get a woman with hair on her arms and all over her body that's <laughs> cheetah-colored. Yeah, she doesn't look like a cheetah enough, so. <laughs> she doesn't look like a cheetah enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, our, our next piece of news is uh, that Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero coming to Blu-ray March 27th from Warner Archive, Tim. Yeah, so just got to wait a few more weeks to get another Batman the Animated Series on Blu-ray after Phantasm, which, of course, I'm excited about. And just one step closer to getting the full series on Blu-ray, which, you know, I'm just going to foaming at the mouth to get my hands on. <laughs> I just can't wait for that. But uh, Mr. Freeze and uh, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero, we haven't really talked about that too much. And it's kind of a movie I'm in the in the middle on. It's not my favorite, but at the same time, it's not the worst thing in the world. So I think when the Blu-ray comes out, we'll have to have a discussion on it because we haven't really talked about it too much. And you know what I don't really get is um, how come they, they, they waited so late to do this? Because, you know, Blu-ray is kind of out now and 4K is in. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you look at the Star Wars uh, trilogy, I guess, the original trilogy, they, or, yeah, it was all six movies, right? Yeah, that came out in the Blu-ray box set. Yeah, that was kind of in the middle of Blu-ray's sort of yeah. reign or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know why they waited so late because, yeah, you can own it on Blu-ray, but 4K is the new thing. <laughs> so, they're already releasing their animated movies, the new ones that come out in 4K now, so... Yeah, but I'll take what I can get, even yeah. if they're a little bit behind. I mean, 4K, <laughs> as good as it looks, it's not quite the big leap from like DVD to Blu-ray. So it's not going to be the worst thing in the world to still have it on Blu-ray, where it's going to look better than what we have now, which is its DVD copies of the animated series and its movies. VHS copies. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never had VHS copies of the animated series. I just you know recorded them off my VCR. I never bought any, but had them all recorded. Yeah. So, yeah, um, also, uh, Gotham by Gaslight. I might as well give my review right now, Tim, since we're talking about the animated series. Um, As you know, uh, well, I texted you after. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, My only complaint is the stilted dialogue. There's a little bit of a stilted dialogue situation. Also, I I don't know if it's just... uh, Bruce uh, Greenwood's voice, but it sounded like 
I mean, maybe it's just me, but it sounded like he, maybe because it's so deep and, you know, so projecting that it sounded like he was clearly in a recording studio. Really? Sometimes, yeah. Whereas, you know, yeah, if, it, it, if it's, it's like a, you know, if it's like an English dubbed movie, they, they sort of kind of match it with the environment of the movie or, or the, the images on the screen. Uh-huh. Um, or even some of the animated movies do it really good. Um, but yeah, I I thought at some points, uh, particularly uh, when uh, on that carriage ride, you know how they go on the carriage ride after the uh, after they show off the bat signal or the the big spotlight. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, right there, I could tell. You know. Okay, so Bruce Greenwood's in a studio, but uh. I mean, of course <laughs> he was. But um, also, the dialogue was a little stilted. Um, it sounded like they didn't know which way they wanted to take the dialogue. Okay, so is it going to be just how we talk now, or is it going to be that old English, the Victorian era English, right? Where it's mm-hmm. it's you know it's a, it's it's different it's a different type, and it, they tried to combine the two is what they tried to do, and sometimes it was that full blown old English, and. It just didn't work with the okay. So now it's current day English, right? So uh, besides that, I didn't really have any other complaints. I I like the the Batman and Catwoman dynamic. Um, yeah, that was great. That was really good. Um, and of course, I had had it spoiled for me, Tim, by you. Uh, but yeah, which you know I kind of maybe should have had you take wish i told you to take your headsets off <laughs> when i was talking about the gordon reveal <laughs> yeah and did maybe i just missed it but did barbara gordon have those scars on her face when you when we, we first see her um no i don't believe she did no, they were trying to cover it up pretty good as far as not to make you think that gordon was the ripper so so did he do that after that's that first scene or I imagine so, just, yeah. Something, something had to happen. Mm. Oh, so they weren't just hiding it then? Yeah, well, it could be. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it, but like I said, it wasn't noticeable definitely in the first time we see Barbara. But, you know, of course, at the end where we get the reveal. So it could have been they were hiding it or it could have been something that happened after yeah. the fact. But I just took it as something that happened after the fact. I did like the reveal, though, how, how it kind of – or the setup of the reveal of who was the uh, – the Ripper, um, even though I knew it was Commissioner Gordon from the beginning, uh, I liked how like it was sort of Batman sneaks into the Gordon house and he sees like drag marks on the on the ground and he realizes there's like a false door and he he goes down into it and then you see. By the way, I I have to give huge props to whoever made this. I like how they incorporated like. Uh, Jim Gordon was a boxer. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, he can go toe-to-toe with Batman. It's not just he secretly knows karate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not one of those one of those things. I don't know if you saw that, but there, there's a picture of him, you know, like in a boxing ring, and there's also the boxing gloves in that, in that room. Um, yeah, definitely, like I said, fits with the fighting style at that time that we would be able to go with toe-to-toe with Batman. It worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. so... So I liked how they did that, um, and just the reveal—the the reveal of that, you know, sort of secret room. 
and how sort of he's trying to cleanse the city of, um, I guess, evil, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I just like the whole reveal. So um, in the end, it was a great, it, it was a really well done um, um, animated movie. Yep. Well, glad you were able to watch it and finally. I had a movie to recommend that I know you would overall like <laughs> with God to buy God's lightning. Glad to hear you did. Yeah. So, um, hopefully it's a trend that can continue <laughs> with the next <laughs> animated movies coming out. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully they don't add stuff that's really inappropriate to, uh, the original story, you know, that they, they try to do an animated movie for. <laughs> See, Dane, I don't know what you could possibly be talking about <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> that was, if if the killing joke wasn't such a great graphic novel and they didn't do a scene by scene recreation of it with Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy i i, I would have stopped watching that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean for some people that doesn't even save the movie from them, but it does make it when it gets to that actual killing Joe stuff. It does make it watchable. <laughs> yeah, barely, barely, Tim. <laughs> it barely does. Um, but yeah, anyway, I I, I really liked Gotham. Uh, <laughs> I almost called it Gotham Gaslight. Uh, <laughs> Gotham by Gaslight. I really liked that animated movie, and if they keep on doing that, I think that that these future ones will be good. Um, but yeah, I guess I should, now. Oh, sorry. I will say too, real quick. I did uh, read the actual comic or the graphic novel uh, since I saw the movie. Yeah, and I did think I liked the way the movie told the story better, uh, with Gordon being the Ripper instead of who it was in the comic, and it just felt like a more bigger and complete story. I think in the movie, even though there was some cool stuff in in the actual graphic novel, especially the way it ended. Uh, the showdown was totally different <laughs> with Jack the Ripper than in the movie, but it was still cool and tied in more with Bruce and the murder of his parents, which is cool. But overall, I think the movie did a better job with, you know, telling a Batman story in that era, in that setting. Yeah, so I, I, I guess that's my review of Gotham by Gaslight a month later. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late to see a Batman animated movie for the first time. Um, but our next piece of news is uh, there will be two new Batman Elseworlds coming um, from DC's new Black Label. Yeah, so DC's announcing like a few new lines of books they're going to be putting out. I mean, uh, they had one like DC Inc. and the Zoom line, which, you know, some are going to be geared toward more younger audiences. But the Black Label is going to be on, you know, geared towards the more adult stories and adult audiences. And there's two Batman books that were announced one of them called batman damned by brian azarello and lee bermejo which you know of course did the great graphic novel joker so it's cool that they're teaming up for a new story but um not really into the whole premise of it right now it's going more on the supernatural stuff the description is on a deserted gotham city bridge a body is found whisper to spread the news joker is dead but is this a dream come true or a nightmare being born now Batman and DC's outlaw magician John Constantine must hunt down the truth through Gotham City hellscape. The city's supernatural 
Uh, recesses are laced with hints about a killer's identity, but the Dark Knight's descent into horror will test his sanity and the limits of rationality, as he must face a horror that doesn't wear a mask. So, yeah, Batman going teaming up with John Costine and doing more of the supernatural stuff. Uh, not really my jam, so well, I don't know about this one, but the creative team, you know, like but they did with Joker's good, so maybe they'll do something good with that. But uh, the other one, uh, definitely excited about the creative team with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo telling another Batman story, but kind of like the one with Azarello and Bermejo, the description of it doesn't have me super excited because it sounds a little too crazy. <laughs> I'll read it here. It says, Batman wakes up in a desert. He doesn't know what year it is or how the Joker's head is alive in a jar beside him, but it's the beginning of a quest unlike anything the Dark Knight has undertaken before. In this strange future, villains are triumphant and society has liberated itself from the burden of ethical codes. Fighting to survive while in search for answers, Bruce Wayne uncovers the truth about his role in this new world and begins the last Batman story ever told. So, yeah, the general concept kind of sounds cool, you know, future where villains are ruling over things and there's no laws but the idea of batman traveling with a head of the joker in a jar like i <laughs> i don't know how snyder and capullo are gonna pull it off but i'll probably check it out to see if they can it's just you know a little strange that they're gonna go around with batman teaming up with a severed joker head so i don't know <laughs> but uh, we'll see hopefully you know this imprint for dc gets some new stories that are not in the continuity of the main dc comics going on right now i'm always up for getting else old type stuff hopefully get new classics like gotham by gaslight was and who knows maybe a few years from now they'll turn into movies but right now i can't say i'm over the moon excited about these two but i'll probably at least check out the capullo and snyder one yeah i'm good yeah <laughs> <laughs> i yeah doesn't sound very good sounds like these sort of one-offs that you know, kind of just get forgotten about. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, Batman with a severed Joker head in the jar. Like, <laughs> I don't um, know. How... Or you know what it sounds like, Tim? It sounds like, uh, um, you know those, like, uh, again, I don't know why they just didn't keep Vertigo the way it was, but um, it sounds like one of those Vertigo sort of regular ongoing series that nobody read that Ended after four or five issues. Sounds sounds like one of those. <laughs> oh, like the rejected storyline that they're trying to put a coat of paint on it with Batman on there <laughs> to make it look good. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I have more confidence in Snyder and Capullo that they'll do some more than just that. But <laughs> the descriptions, <laughs> I kind of know what you're coming from, though. But <laughs> hopefully yeah. there's a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm good. It's not, it's, it's not on my to-be-read list. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it for our news. And now we can get into our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. Um, and we do have an email from Jordan, right? Yes, we do, as always. All right, Tim. So why don't you read that? I will, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean <laughs> I didn't mean that to come out the way it did. <laughs> <laughs> I just having some fun with you. <laughs> but Jordan says, "Hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, I'm really sorry sorry to hear about your cat, Dane. I know that's rough. My condolences, man." Oh, thanks, Jordan. I'm not surprised about Joss Whedon leaving Batgirl. 
there have been rumors for a while that his attachment to the project may have been a cover for why he was at WB to help out with Justice League, and I'm thinking that might be exactly the case. I'm not sure the intention was ever for him to wind up writing and directing Batgirl. I'm not that disappointed personally, but I'm also not throwing a party like some DC fans are, lol. I've enjoyed the work of his that I've seen for the most part, Justice League included, but I've never been blown away by any of it. As you said, Tim, his comments about why he left Batgirl are quite suspect, further lending credence to the idea that the intention was never really for him to go through with it. I do really hope Batgirl does still wind up getting made. With the success of Wonder Woman, coupled with Batman being DC's most painful character, I think WB would be nuts to make to make this movie. Or not to make this movie. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. We haven't heard anything new on it since our last episode about any progress that they're going to go forward with it with another director or female director or writer. But hopefully that's still the case. Dane, I see where you're coming from about a key difference between Superman for all seasons and Smallville being that one of the unique things about the former is that it's told from the perspective of the people around Superman. That's true. However, two of the other things I love so much about Superman for all seasons are the Klana relationship and the quiet, innocent, small towniness, I made that word up, of Smallville, both of which play hev- heavily into the Smallville TV series. Does it? I'm with. <laughs> so, yeah, those stuff he says about, you know, the small towniness, the. Clark and Lana relationship that's all in Smallville, especially in those early seasons, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, but doesn't uh, Lana become like a villain or she gets powers or something? She becomes she gets possessed by a witch, I think, in season four uh, or something <laughs> like that. But, <laughs> I mean, you still got three seasons where none of that happens. <laughs> it's more like the Superman for all season, Clark and Lana stuff. So, <laughs> oh, so, oh, so from the beginning, you're, you're, you sort of know that it's not going to work out. Well, I just even from a Superman fan standpoint, I knew it's not going to work out because he's going to be with Lois. <laughs> That's yeah. Just, uh, going into the show, I knew it was oh, kind of okay. always me thinking, okay, how is it going? How is the relationship going to end? I went into the series knowing or expecting that it to will. happen. Yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> oh, okay. So I would have been more surprised if you know the series ended with him and Lana being together. You know what? They should have just done that. I mean, they they should have just. <laughs> had them you know be together at the end if it lasted only those four seasons that that would have been a good cap off but as soon as they introduced lois into season four it's like okay well i know this is where this is gonna go <laughs> and i'm so, not, not complaining because that's where it should go clark and lois that's how it should be so i don't mean to completely sidetrack sidetrack us but i mean to completely sidetrack us tim <laughs> um so when lois gets introduced into the series the what what happens with Clark and Lana? See if I remember right in season because Lois got introduced into season four and her and Clark kind of like they didn't really like each other or at first you know or mainly Clark didn't really like Lois's personality too much even though you know they became friends. But Lana was in a, another relationship with someone else that season who tied into that whole I think which uh, subplot they had going into that season. So, but yeah. Lois didn't throw a wrench into things kind of like where Clark and Lana were together. Then Lois came and ruined everything. It wasn't like that at all. They were Clark and Lana already having their ups and downs by the time oh. they were at season four. So. Oh, so there wasn't any scenes with like uh, like Clark longingly lo- looking at 
Lana and her new boyfriend, and there's like a song playing and it's all <laughs> well, slow motion. And, I'm sure there was. Uh, I mean, come on, <laughs> <That'd be laughs> <fast to me. laughs> you see, that's my big problem with uh, Smallville in general is that you know Clark is gonna end up with Lois, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they 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 sort of keep on interjecting the. It, the idea that uh, maybe there's a chance between Clark and Lana. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand yeah. that. And, no, yeah, and, and, I know what you're coming from. About the same time, I was like, yeah. I'm there for the journey to see what happens in Clark's <laughs> life <laughs> to get him with Lois. So. <laughs> I'm there for the journey. Um, and also, I, I think I haven't watched all every single episode of Smallville, Tim. I don't know if you know <laughs> yes, this about me. <laughs> but also it's it's the fact that it um you know the Lana story and um you know, Superman for all seasons, it's she knows she doesn't have a chance. And it's it's mm-hmm. from her perspective and if things have ended, Clark has moved on, Lana's still in I believe she's still in Smallville, and she realizes that and you know, she she realizes that it's over between them and they, 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 they could never, they never had a chance to begin with. And maybe that's, um, that's why I think Superman for all seasons and Smallville are different. I don't know. Well, yeah, there's definitely big enough differences, but at the same time, the similarities, you know, where they got some of their ideas from and stuff. They're taking inspiration from with that story as well. So, yeah. Especially when you go on for 10 seasons, you have to change a lot. <laughs> so Lana's well, in all first. 10 seasons then? You have no, 10 not seasons. all of them. Not all of them. No. Oh, okay. okay, so I was, about, I was about to say you have 10 seasons of Clark longingly looking at Lana and vice versa. Like, I believe she left after season 7, if I remember right, then showed up here and there throughout the remaining seasons, but never a full-time cast member. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> They, they they must have run out of ideas for her. Because or they, she got, or the actress got tired of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a little both, I'm not sure. <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, I'm with Tim on Man of Steel. I love pretty much everything about this film. It's my favorite non-Batman live-action DC movie ever. I think it's such a beautiful, inspiration, and moving film. See, Dane, Jordan's with me. <laughs> uh, I guess. I mean, maybe that's I'm, why I haven't been invited on his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, between I have. That, between I, that and not watching Smallville. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have. Um, and it's going to be about Superman for all seasons. But now I can see why it's taking so long because we disagree on many things. <laughs> hopefully, again, hopefully when I'm on his podcast and we talk about Superman for all seasons, Smallville doesn't come up. Oh, you know what's going to come up. In fact, in fact, I'll be disappointed if it doesn't come up. So, <laughs> so it'll be a four-hour argument about how Superman for all seasons and Smallville are different. So. <laughs> hey, it could make for a very interesting discussion. I'll be there. So listen to it. <laughs> uh, as Tim alluded to, Smallville actually did explain how the Kents were adopted or were able to adopt Clark. Jonathan helped Lionel and Lex during the meteor shower, and in return, Lionel helped Jonathan fabricate adoption papers for Clark. However, Lionel then was able to use that to blackmail Jonathan into convincing the Rosses to sell their factory to him. 
Anyway, it's a fascinating story that led to the conflict that the Luthors would have with both the Kents and Rosses on the show. Dane, if how Clark was able to get adopted legally is something that really interests you, I highly recommend the Smallville episode where we see flashbacks in this. It's season two, episode seven, Lineage, and it's excellent. So, yeah, I remember the basics of that episode, but Jordan, you know, refresh my memory here with actually what went down. And I do remember that being a good, really good one, actually, with those flashbacks with the Kents helping the loot doors after the meteors first hit and Lex was affected by it. And then, you know, during Lionel Luther helping the Kents out with adopting Clark and then coming back for payback in the present time period. So that was a really good episode. I agree with that one, Jordan. Yeah, but I mean, I, I know that's the Smallville um, way of doing things, but I'm just wondering, like, let's say the Christopher Reeve Superman, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, Lex Luthor and I, I, I guess Lionel Luthor is in that too somehow. Um, maybe he's just off screen the whole time, but, um, I'm just wondering, like, cause they don't have any prior connection, right? Oh, yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. So like, how, how did it work in that movie? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so yeah, kind of what I was saying, is it really that big of an issue of like a two, a couple found an abandoned child and they couldn't find their parents and they end up adopting them. No, no, it's, it's a total non-issue. <laughs> I just brought it up because I was just wondering. <laughs> well, Smallville definitely made it more interesting. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like, I mean, you mentioned it, Jordan has mentioned it in past emails. Um, and you certainly mentioned it a lot. It seemed like Smallville should have ended after like the first four or five seasons. Yeah, I would say after five. Really? And if they wanted to, like, do a spinoff of or continue like with him actually being Superman, <laughs> like calling it Metropolis something where he's Superman, not prolonging the inevitable of him not becoming Superman when he should be. <laughs> oh, so that that was the big thing. Like, okay, so after season six, he's going to be Superman, and he wasn't Superman. It, it, well, it was that not that they were ever hinting that because we all knew the end game was like the final season the final episode whenever that would be he would be superman yeah it's just that you know the series kept prolonging and going on and on where he should be superman yeah. <laughs> already so it's like and smallville but if you want to continue this version of clark's journey do a new tv show with it where he actually is superman right. at least that's how i would have liked to see it yeah. <laughs> but jordan continues saying well lego dc superheroes the flash only just came out and now we've also got the trailer for the next lego dc movie this this one in their dc superhero girls line well i wasn't a big fan of the first entry in the lego dc superhero girls film series brian drain or either entry in the regular dc superhero girl series wait let me read that again <laughs> that's what i repeated <laughs> myself but. it's brain drain yeah. tim okay <laughs> not brian drain yeah see i'm mixing up my words right here <laughs> brain drain or either entry into the regular dc superhero girls film series but i'm quite a bit more excited for the next one lego dc superhero girls super villain high why because catwoman is going to play a major role in it i don't recall if she's appeared in a non-speaking cameo role in one of the previous dc superhero girls films but this is certainly the first time she's getting a big role in one of them and i can't wait we're just two months away from the digital release as of my writing this you know, I also saw on Twitter the, um, I guess it was promo images, um, but they had uh, Catwoman 
in her wedding dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they just released those images this week. Yeah, I'm just wondering like if they got an actual dress designer to j- design that, or if mm-hmm. that's just like somebody just came up with that at DC. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's the artist who's doing it got references from you know a yeah. wedding dress designer <laughs> to oh, yeah. put the design of it. So yeah, I don't know if they'll ever so, say, say that, but <laughs> I'm sure that's probably what. So happened. when is this wedding thing? Uh, it's happening in Batman number 50, which which should be in, what is it, June, maybe, when that one would be out? See, we're on issue 42 right now. Yeah, so two months. So four months. a little after June, probably. Oh, yeah. Sometime in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just heartbroken for Jordan. <laughs> because it's going to be, it's going to be bad. As long as it's not the wedding issue where it's against like cold feet and they never actually get married, like runs off from oh. the wedding. <laughs> that would be oh, a no. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least let it let it last a little bit. Be, because I'm thinking about Lois and Clark. How many uh, times have they been together? They've gotten married. There's been a reset. Now they're not married. Now they don't know each other. Now they've never met each other in in the entire in their entire history. Well, now they have, though. They're back to being married and all that stuff. Yeah. They they retconned it again, so it's back to where it should be. <laughs> okay, so they're going to break up, too. And <laughs> they're, they're going to be like, oh, no, we can't be together. And then another writer is going to come in, and it's going to be like, okay, now we can be together. <laughs> uh, well, Brian Michael Bendis is taking over the Superman comics, and he said he's going to honor what's come before but you know hopefully there won't be any major status quo shakeups because the yeah. superman books have been so good <sighs> well i wonder if they're gonna make the the batman divorce um or well, however they're gonna handle it i wonder if they're gonna make like a whole <laughs> event out of it or if it's just gonna be like we're not together the, anymore the batman catwoman divorce legal trial yeah. <laughs> event is what we're gonna get who gets yeah, what they, keeps what <laughs> honor if gotham is a 50 50 state yeah. <laughs> or, or city or where whatever or they gotta split 50 50 okay, well you got the next uh big batman event planned already dane well yeah. <laughs> probably next year's uh, or you know it'd be terrible tim what's that if one of them dies before the wedding well, it better not be Batman because he's been <laughs> dead and put out of commission too many times the last few years. So yeah, and then he has to go through time to come back <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I don't even want to think about how they're going to end this right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just enjoy the lead up to the wedding, and then we'll worry about the eventual fallout afterwards. Hopefully, not anything too comic book crazy like some of the other stories we've gotten with these characters. Okay, so Catwoman is going to get lost in time because flash is going to do something <laughs> is, is running an experiment on his light speed and, and Catwoman is going to get lost in time then something's going to mess up the timeline continuity where she's going to return as the howie berry Catwoman. yeah yeah <laughs> and they're going to make that into the dc comics continuity <laughs> and then batman's going to get lost in time and Dick Grayson's going to take over again. And then... <laughs> if they do that, they could at least choose another Robin to take over. I mean, as much as I love Dick in the Batman role, 
don't repeat yourself this soon. <laughs> okay, so Carrie Kelly is going to take over. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> and then she's going to have to find um, Bruce first, right? And then they're going to go, both of them are going to go look for Catwoman. And then they're going to realize that Catwoman exists in a world, in a, she's a fourth dimensional being now. So time doesn't exist. <laughs> Not a fifth exist dimensional being like Mr. Mitzia's Pidlick or that <laughs> like. <laughs> so time doesn't exist for her anymore. So she's both, she's both Catwoman now and she's Catwoman, an old lady. And they can only get Catwoman, the old lady to come back. And Catwoman's going to be an old lady. And Carrie Keller Bat Carrie Kelly Batman's gonna have to take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's gonna be their excuse on where Carrie Kelly has been. She's been taking care <laughs> of go, yeah. old Catwoman. So that that's how it's gonna play out. I'm sorry, Jordan, but we've got it confirmed here that that's how it's gonna play uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Dana Carrie Kelly has anything to do with the Batman Catwoman story in the future. I still have to give you props because uh, <laughs> that's pulling a crazy one out there. <laughs> Is she even in Rebirth? No, I haven't seen her at all. Not since those new 52 cameo appearances. Yeah, I remember they, they, they made like a big thing out of like she's coming back. Mm-hmm. and Or she's somehow going to be in this continuity. And they, they didn't do anything with it after that. No, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's a season of story I haven't read yet, but if if so, it hasn't been anything too consequential where yeah. you showed up in the other bad titles. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, "Wow, Tom King kicked off this everyone loves Ivy arc with a bang. Batman Forty One is phenomenal. Spoilers: This could go down as a legendary Poison Ivy story. King writes her so creepy, and she really comes off as an extremely dangerous threat. She's got almost a whole world under her thumb." And the way she gets into people's minds and talks to people is pretty terrifying. I totally agree with Tim about his about this being a completely visually stunning comic book. Michael Jannon's art is also or is always gorgeous, but I feel like it really gets I think to shine. That's uh, Mikhail Yannin. <laughs> and I'm just not reading or pronouncing anything right. This email. <laughs> Mikhail Yannin's art is always gorgeous. Okay, but I feel like it really gets to shine drawing all all the plant imagery in this issue. Going back to Ivy having almost a whole world under her thumb. There are two exceptions. My favorite characters, Batman and Catwoman. I just love the idea of the story literally being Batman and Catwoman against the whole world. I can't wait to see them fighting to save the world together going forward. Batman ends this issue in a rare instance where he doesn't know what to do. When Batman doesn't know what to do, you know things are bad. I know that my OTP can brave through anything together though. And I'm so excited to see how they take on the challenge of moving forward. Bat cat forever, from the first kiss to the last. And as usual, Jordan has a couple of questions. His first one is, how would you rank just the endings of the three installments in the Dark Knight trilogy, not the movies overall? This is seriously one of the hardest lists I've ever had to make. Well, my number one is easy, but two and three were extremely difficult to rank. All three films ended with such beautiful, powerful, and emotional resonant scenes, so I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. And each ending was trying to do a very different thing, of course. Here it goes. Number three, The Dark Knight. Just think about how many iconic lines are in this closing scene. Gary Oldman and Christian Bale just give such outstanding performances there. 
really further cementing how much justice was done to their partnership in the trilogy. Batman makes a noble sacrifice and takes the fall for Dent, because sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. Then, of course, there's the iconic speech from Gordon. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Chills. And number two, Batman Begins. It's more uplifting ending than The Dark Knight, and it's also a brilliant Batman-Gordon scene. I love how it starts off with an awesome shot of the bat signal shining in the sky. Batman arrives, and six-year-old me flipped out seeing the Joker card reveal for the first time. It ends with an exchange that I think says so much about Batman. I never said thank you, says Gordon, and you'll never have to. Batman replies before gliding off into the night. And number one, The Dark Knight Rises. Not only is Rises my favorite live-action movie of all time, but it features my favorite ending of all time. Just wow. Seeing my OTP, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, live happily ever after was a dream come true. I audibly gasped and felt like my heart skipped a beat when I saw the scene of Bruce and Selina in the cafe for the first time. I was already in tears and complete emotional wreck at that point, but those tears became complete tears of joy when the scene came on. Bruce and Selina finally got a happy ending, and I couldn't have been happier as a huge bat cat shipper. The scene featured Alfred finding out Bruce was still alive, and I love seeing the other characters find out too. I love how Bruce uses Wayne Manor as an orphanage, and that's exactly what he would do. In addition, we see how the symbol of Batman is indeed everlasting, like Bruce said he hopes to make it in Batman Begins. As a statue is erected, Gordon reassures Blake that people will know that the Batman saved Gotham City, and Blake possibly goes on, goes on to don the cape and cowl. There's the unbelievable score throughout as well, which is amazing in all three of the movie's endings, but I think it's the best here. There's not a single frame of the ending of Rises that I would change. It's a masterpiece, as is the film as a whole. It's the perfect ending to Rises in the entire trilogy in my eyes. I never felt that way I've had that I felt coming out of seeing Rises for the first time, coming out of any movie in my life. Yeah, so that is tough choices, Jordan. <laughs> it took me a little bit to nailed down what order I'd put those three endings, but mine's going to be a little similar to yours, but a little different. Similar in that The Dark Knight is my third one. I mean, like you said, all three of them are great, and The Dark Knight is phenomenal, but it, to me, doesn't have quite the impact that Rises and Batman Begins had, which, you know, was just great. So num- Rises is going to be my number two, because I agree that it is the perfect ending to the trilogy, and seeing Bruce get a happy ending with Selena and you know, having Alfred see that was great. And I just loved seeing that in the theater for the first time myself, too. But it didn't leave me quite as excited as the ending for Batman Begins did. I mean, there was just something special about seeing that for the first time. I mean, you mentioned about Batman and Gordon, you know, seeing how great their relationship is at so early at this point. And just this is a classic Batman Gordon rooftop scene that we've read about and seen so much in other Batman stories. And then. You top it off with the Joker card and the theater erupting with cheers and me included clapping my hands. It was just such a cool reveal and a cool tease to what's to come next. And you're right, the dialogue between them about Gordon saying he never thanks them and then Batman saying he never had to. It's just all great stuff. So that's why Batman Begins is not my number one. It was just such a cool scene in general, but seeing it the first time in the theater was something special. So those would be my three picks. How about you, Dane? How would you rank them? Uh, for me, mm-hmm. Number three, my my third favorite is uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I agree with you that it had a happy ending and stuff. Um, it's just... And I, I really like how it wrapped everything up. Um, 
Bruce and Selena are together now. You see Alfred, and then you see Blake in the Batcave, right? Hmm. Um, it just didn't have that punch, you know. But I guess it's it, it's sort of wrapping everything up. Um, number two, my second favorite is Batman Begins. Uh, like you, I like the 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 reveal of the Joker card. Um, but it, it's it, it's good because it's anticipation for the next one, right? Yeah. Whereas I felt my number one is the Dark Knight, where they're essentially faking a murder that never really happened. Yeah. And they're putting all the blame on Batman, which is essentially what he's there for. I mean, and plus two, I feel like the Dark Knight out of all three of the movies is the, like, like I said about Wonder Woman, it's a complete movie. It's not just to, to set up the next one. It's a, it's a total complete movie. You start at one point in the movie and then at the end you're in a totally different place. And I think that's what makes that ending so great is that it's pushing all the blame onto to Batman and he's a totally different character at the end. And that's why I think it's the 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 best ending out of the three. Um uh, but my number my complete le- number one, Tim, is <laughs> Batman and Robin, of course. Oh, where they're man. running towards not 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 how the movie ends, but that sort of stinger scene at the end where they're running towards the camera <laughs> in their silver suits. I mean Talk about Batman Begins leaving us excited for the next one. I mean, how more so is that with Alfred saying we're going to need a bigger cave, being yeah. excited for the possibilities of the new adventure of Batman, Robin, and Batgirl, and who knows who knows who else would join them. Not to mention, Tim, <laughs> <laughs> an out of context scene of them running towards the the camera for no reason. <laughs> how can you not be excited about about that, Jordan? <laughs> I'm surprised that's not on your list. <laughs> and again, if you were to do like that for the original Batman movies, Burton and Schumacher ones, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin or just basically end on the same shot. So <laughs> the <laughs> other one just has Batgirl in it. So you have to eliminate those two already. Right, right. <laughs> no, yeah, that was a great question, Jordan, because what's awesome about it is we each had a different number one, but for great reasons altogether. So you really, there really, really no wrong answer when you think oh, about yeah. which ending got the best one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely no wrong answers there, Tim. Yep. But his but second question I, is, I, I, I do have oh. to say, you, you guys are wrong in your choices <laughs> because my number one is the out of context scene that has nothing to do with the movie of Batman, Robin, and Batgirl running towards the screen. Yeah, I should have been more clear. I mean, there is no wrong answers amongst the Dark Knight trilogy because you have to leave it at that. You can't compare <laughs> it to the amazing ending of Batman and Robin. I mean, that's just no question about it. So, <laughs> What was the point of the silver suit? Was there any practical reason? I don't know. Did it do better against ice or something? Maybe was that the intended plan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, the only reason why there's a second suit in the, the Nolan trilogy... Is because it's actually practical. Yes, there's a reason. Yeah. For it. He says why he needs another suit. <laughs> but the the Batman and Robin suit 
change, I guess. I mean, <laughs> there, uh, there's no real reason. But as crazy as that movie is for all the dumb stuff that happens in it, they might as well just said the real reason behind it for more action figures. Batman would have said that. <laughs> would anyone really complain about that much? Like it's all the other stuff that went on in that movie. Uh, would it really be so. that taking that far out of it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, uh, but, but in all seriousness, seriousness, there, there there's no wrong, wrong answer for that. Um, they're all great endings. Yep. And Jordan's second question is, how would you rank the five DCEU film scores up to this point? For Suicide Squad, don't factor in the soundtrack, just Stephen Price's score. For me, it's number five, Justice League, number four, Suicide Squad, number three, Wonder Woman, number two, Batman v Superman, number one, Man of Steel. And we're going to be pretty similar as this one as well, Jordan. Just our number four and five is going to be different. I have Suicide Squad as my number five because nothing in the score really stood out to me. Nothing really memorable. Whereas Justice League's kind of in the same boat, but at least that had the Danny Elfman's Batman theme and John Williams' Superman theme sprinkled in there. So I put that above uh, Suicide Squad. Then we got Wonder Woman, which is just an overall good score that fits you know the tone of the movie and a cool new version of wonder woman's theme that's in there and the no man's land sequence the music that plays there is really great so i got that at number three but batman v superman i have at number two as well because you know there was just a lot of great new themes in there when that was the debut of wonder woman's now iconic music theme so gotta put it alone that number two for me just for that but then you got uh, batman's theme which is different not my favorite but i think kind of fits what they were going for there and even Lex Luthor's themes, I thought, fit really good well. So that's why Batman v Superman is number two. But Man of Steel is my number one like you as well. And really, what else is there to say? It's just a phenomenal score that has a great new theme for Superman, great emotional pieces of music that's in there. It's just all around fantastic. So, yeah, that would be my number one. Uh, How about for me, you? For me, five is Suicide Squad. I, I, I don't even recall a soundtrack for that movie. Yeah, I'm with I, you I, I just remember all the classic rock tracks that were supposed to, yeah. you know, make them look cool. Um, number four, Justice League. Again, I don't, I don't even recall a score besides reusing what um, Batman v Superman had. Uh, number three, it's probably going to be Batman v Superman. Um, I, I I place it before. Uh, lower on my list than uh, Wonder Woman because I mean even though that score was introduced in Batman v Superman um, just because I don't even remember what Batman's score sounds like <laughs> wasn't it just ambient noise no it was like a thematic almost like a horror type it was like dun 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 oh yeah, like yeah, that yeah, style. yeah yeah um, did not stick so, uh, three for Batman v Superman, two, uh, Wonder Woman, just because the movie was so good, it fit with the, fit with the time and incorporated that, that, that Wonder Woman score really well into that. So, uh, number two is Wonder Woman. Number one is Man of Steel, just because it's still Hans Zimmer doing what he does really well. Yep. And, uh, it is a memorable Superman score and I do actually like that. Superman score, um, uh, or is that that Superman theme song uh, better than the Christopher Reeve one? 
Yeah, I know you're not alone in that, but I can't quite say that yet. (laughs) It's great. It it doesn't have that heroic feel, even Mm. though it does have that. It doesn't sound heroic, but it has that heroic feel. So yeah, I know what you mean. That's why I like uh, the Hans Zimmer Superman score. So, yep, that's mine. Cool. Yep. So that's it for Jordan's email. As always. Thank you for sending in your thoughts and your questions as we always enjoy talking about it and sends us into other great discussions that <laughs> we go on every email with <laughs> Mostly always about Smallville and <laughs> Arrow and Flash. And yep. Which <laughs> <laughs> is fine by me. Yeah. Th- thank you, Jordan, for your email. We always enjoy reading them. Um, but now we can move on to our comic book reviews, right? Yep. All right. So for this episode, we have Batman number 42 and uh, Detective Comics number 975 and a rating scale of course is going to be eight uh, VHS to DVD converters I was thinking the same thing like <laughs> movies uh, that have been uh, used and converted into or how about movies people use the VHS con- DVD converter for <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds good yeah how um, could it not be <laughs> Um, so yeah, Batman number 42, Tim. Yeah. So this is continuing on the everybody loves Ivy arc. And this one, I was curious to see if we get more information as uh, far as how Ivy is doing this and why she's doing it. And we definitely got the answers in that, in this issue, but it starts off first with just Batman or Bruce and Selena watching news reports on their TV, but yet it's just poison Ivy talking through different humans. And we see, I love how the first page is a Superman hovering over above Wayne Manor and it's revealed that Poison Ivy is using him to, you know, as surveillance to see what Catwoman and Batman are going to be doing, just watching them. And Bruce and Catwoman know this and because they go out riding in their costumes in the Batmobile and Catwoman just says, you know, isn't it sweet that Ivy let us out? And she, you see her yelling out, uh, knowing that she's talking to Superman. She says it again, like, I said, isn't it sweet that you let us out? knowing that she can hear them through Superman. And Superman tails them throughout where they're going. And first they go to that Batburger restaurant. They order some food, and they're just having some fun conversation of how, you know, how they're going to use Ivy for their wedding. You know, now that Ivy controls everybody, you know, Ivy obviously has to be my maid of honor. She obviously has to give me away. And obviously we have to get her to use her for the flowers. So more fun banter between Batman and Catwoman in there. But then we get to the point. Hey, Tim, that brings up a good question. What's that? Who's going to walk Catwoman down the aisle? That is a good question. I wonder wonder if she's going to have Alfred do it. Ace. (laughs) Ace might be the ring bearer. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right, right. Is is Ace in the the rebirth? Um, I don't think Ace... Well, is it because I know Titus is Damien's dog. Oh, right, right. I think Ace is, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just Titus, but I'm not 100% sure. No. Either way, there's going to be animals presence at this wedding. You've got Bat-Cow, you got Titus. So. <laughs> Bat-Cow. <laughs> how, how, how can you forget about Bat-Cow, Tim? I know, you can't. Yeah. I, I'm sure he he or she, because we're not sure well, if... It's not a cow, it's a she. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, 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 I hope she... Got her invitation. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get lost in the back cave. <laughs> <laughs> then, 
No, but yeah, the issue we find out why Batman and Catwoman are out driving in the Batmobile with Superman following them. And I loved how Batman uh, gets rid uh, of I'm sorry, Superman Tim. Here. I'm sorry, Tim. Uh, he's out of left the, the Batcow <laughs> <laughs> discussion. If, if we're inviting Batcow, you, you, you have to have the, the T-Rex and the giant penny <laughs> as, as backdrops. You know what? Right? Just have the whole wedding in the Batcave. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I mean, I imagine they're going to invite only those who know who they really are anyway, so... Oh, I wonder, also, I wonder if they're going to invite the AI on the uh, bat computer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Brother Eye. <laughs> yeah, that's another interesting question. How big is the wedding invitation list going to be? Yeah, no, because you, you, you got so, so so much people to invite. Like, I wonder if Plastic Man's going to be there. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get your hopes up, Dane. I don't think yeah. he's that close to Bruce at this moment. Martian Manhunter? No, not not really since Rebirth of the New 52. Yeah. He hasn't been inter- part of the Justice League, really, and hasn't interacted with Batman too much, at least in the stories I've read. I think it's going to be a really small wedding now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Or I wonder if uh, Speedy's going to be in. No, uh, I doubt even Oliver will probably be there. <laughs> oh, really? Why? What's, yeah, it, what's going on with... No, I don't Oliver. know. Like I said, they haven't had too many interactions with Batman and Oliver in the stories yeah. I've read at Justice League. So, I mean, maybe he's shown up in the Green Arrow title. I haven't. It's not a book I read, so yeah. maybe Batman shown up there. I'm not sure, but it's going to be probably just Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then the Bat Family. That's I imagine how <laughs> it's no. going to be, and maybe one or two people that Catwoman knows. I wonder if uh, Colonel Kane is going to be invited to the. Uh, to the wedding. I mean, he, yeah. he he's technically family. I don't think so. I don't think Kate's even going to be there. I was really? talking about Detective Comics and no. for that. So, <laughs> but they are family. I don't think they'll be on the guest list. Technically, they are, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a strange family <laughs> relationship. I think after what goes down in Detective Comics. So, but unless they, they patch things up by the time we get to the wedding, but they do have to. Likely. They do have to have the giant penny. And of course, the T Rex in there. Yeah, like I said, they got it. This put, it'd make it a lot easier if they have it in the back cave. I mean, <laughs> do they really want to take all that stuff out and put it back in? I don't how think do, so. How do you get that stuff out? I mean, it must be a big cave entrance. Yeah, well, maybe where he brings goes through with the Batwing and the Batmobile, you can get it out through that that way. Yeah. They just have Green Lantern come create a big construct to carry it all, or, it or they have out. to like take it out through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to the roof of the cave. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I don't think they're going to do that much work for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I said, especially when it's all in one spot already, you just have it down there. And I'm sure Bruce would love to have it down there. Oh, uh, did, 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 see, I'm totally sidetracking us too. <laughs> <laughs> did, um, Bruce make, uh, build all that himself? Like the, like the, t-rex and all that stuff no no or, like the the, the bat cave oh like, like well, the platforms and i'm sure he added to it i mean the cave was already there but he had to add like structures to it i would imagine so yeah because because i mean you you can't contract that out because no <laughs> people will know like hey you know bruce wayne is building something in the bat cave like some something big you know and word will get Word will get out after that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just thinking, like, how, like, did he, 
how did he, did he he must have made that himself like all of the the moving platforms the computers um all of the closets and stuff i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> it could have started off very basic and as he came to know people he trusts he would be able to help him with that maybe he would let him in because you know there's characters like harold in the comics and maybe you know how lucius fox now you know with the technical side of things that helps with the suits and stuff like batman begins maybe you know some people he'd come to trust like that over the years help improve the stuff he did on his own to make it what we know today yeah yeah but i guess it's that whole you know clerks kevin smith thing about the death the, yeah. the death star <laughs> you know like they had to contract out that work yeah. So. <laughs> All depends on who Bruce trusts. Yeah. <laughs> so am I allowed to move on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, don't, I didn't mean to keep sidetracking us. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Bruce and Catwoman make it to a, a house, just a normal residential house, and Batman needs to get rid of Superman from spying on them. So I like what he does here, where he's whispering to Catwoman. You know, trying to make Superman know he really has to hone in with a super hearing to find out what they're saying. And but then Bruce just does this big, loud whistle and then just makes Superman grab his ears in pain for being so sensitive with a super hearing. And I like how Bruce just calls Poison Ivy out and it, saying, you know, Clark knows better not to do that. But Poison Ivy doesn't know how to use Superman's body and is used to his strength. So I knew that would put him out of commission for a little bit, which was cool. And of course, Poison Ivy still is using other members of the Justice League to try to stop Batman and Catwoman from entering this house. So she sends all the flashes, the Barry Allen flash, Kid flash, and the first Wally West flash, because there's two Wally Wests now. And the only thing I found a little strange is Catwoman being quick enough to take them all out. I mean, come on, these are three flashes here. For her to take all of three of them out with some kicks as fast as they're going, I don't know about that, but that's what happened. So Bruce and Catwoman go into this house, and he just asks this old lady who's sitting on a, on a chair saying, where is he? And it's, of course, Poison Ivy talking through, through her saying she's sending more Justice League members like the Lanterns and Wonder Woman, which she does. And then the next page, we just see that. We don't see what happened, but they've captured Batman and, and Catwoman. They're hanging over uh, this big skyscraper building. And this is where we kind of get more reveal of what uh, Poison Ivy's doing to get control of all these people on Earth. So Batman reveals that, you know, She's she's using you know her control and powers against all the food that people are eating like you know burgers, tomatoes, lettuce, and any like any greens that people are eating, they're going to be able to. She's going to take control of them. But he, Bruce or Batman mentions this person named uh, Johnny Suntries as he's someone with a severe allergy to greens and it's debilitating, so he can't eat them. So she has no control over him. So uh, Bruce calls her out, you knowing since. She knows that he can't eat them. She can't control them. And she would, Bruce went looking for him, but she knew about that. And so she took him out of commission. Bruce is trying to find him. That's why he's asking her where she's keeping, keeping him. Cause he could probably be the answer to getting rid of her control on these people of him and is allergic to the green. So, uh, as Batman continues to ask, uh, poison Ivy just doesn't want to hear it. She's just telling him to shut up to Superman. And it comes to a point where, Bruce is, you know, again, calling her out saying, let me guess, you're trying to make a better world and this is all for the greater good of humanity. And then Poison Ivy is hard enough and she uses Superman to just smack him and punch him hard in the face. And there's just this great but brutal panel or splash page of Bruce's face is all battered up, bloodied by Superman's punch. I mean, it looks pretty gruesome. And it's revealed that 
Batman actually died here because Catwoman and Poison Ivy are having a conversation. And Catwoman is actually talking to Poison Ivy face to face here. And Catwoman asks, is he dead? And he's Poison Ivy tells her, yeah, he was, but I brought him back with all the access of people and technology I had through now to controlling everyone. It was simple to bring him back, whether it was science, magic, or surgery, I was able to bring him back. This is where Poison Ivy kind of tells Catwoman why she's doing this. She's kind of basically telling her that she's looking for redemption for some of the bad stuff she's done when she first became Poison Ivy. She even makes reference to the times of the war of jokes and riddles from the story arc we just had of how she's killed people, done things she'd regret. But now with her having control, she's thinking this is her way of redemption of having the world bring peace to the world in a way as she's controlling everything. And so that's how she's viewing the logic of her kind of doing good for the earth and wanting redemption for herself. But then we see Bruce in the hospital bed waking up and who else is the doctor, but none other than Harley Quinn. So <laughs> looks like we're going to get some more interactions with Bruce inter- with Harley Quinn being her doctor. And even makes the point is that, you know, Ivy has access to anyone she needs. She needs someone with super speed to go somewhere. She has the flash. She needs strength. She needs Superman. And she goes, uh, you know, for being hit, as hard as I was in the head and needed someone with PhD in neurology, that's Harley Quinn who has access to that. So we'll see what goes down between Batman and the dark doctor visit with Harley Quinn. But overall, this issue was another enjoyable one, not finding it quite as an, you know, appealing story arc or one that's engaged me as some of the bad stories we've gotten from Tom King recently, but you know, it's still good. It's nothing really bad. It just hasn't engaged me the way that, you know, some of his previous stuff has been recently anyway. So the art is still really solid, though, and that hasn't dipped at all. It's still <laughs> great to see the amazing artwork being done here. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one a three out of five movies that uh, have been transferred from VHS to DVD through that converter. And now Detective Comics, number 975. Uh, boy, James Tinian is the quality of books that he's writing before his run is over or like anything like this, he's going to go out with a bang. Cause this is another just great, fantastic character issue with Batman, Batwoman, just the rest of the bat family here and kind of the fallout of what they're going to do as far as keeping Batwoman on the team. And since she killed Clayface and I love how the issue starts with, it's a flashback with Bruce and Kate as little kids. And it's Bruce at Kate's mother's funeral and just seeing them interact together, kind of sharing their pain of what, they've been through of course bruce losing her parents and now uh, kate losing hers and bruce tells her about uh, this dream he has it's like the only time i feel anything is when you know i think about finding the men who killed my parents and you know uh, i have a dreams where i find them and i shoot whoever was just like he shot my parents and he says those are good dreams that's where kate tells him well why don't we go ahead and make it our mission to find those who you know killed your parents and killed my mother and so just kind of showing how, uh, how on the same page they were at such an early age. And, of course, Bruce later grew out of that <laughs> mentality. But it works here to have him think like that as just being a little kid and that reaction of wanting revenge for the murder of his parents. So it worked there. But, again, showing the different paths they actually took. Then it shows Kate waking up from what looks to be her remembering that. But at the same time, we see her just thinking about the reaction Cassandra Kane had when she looked at Batwoman right in the face, just telling, asking her why she killed Clayface. And that's what's pretty much haunting Kate here. Just that look of Cassandra Kane and that, and you know, the, the pain that she caused for her. So after that, we get some moments where 
we got Nightwing and Batgirl getting ready to, you know, talk about, you know, the idea of meeting together with Bruce and the rest of the Bat family to decide Batwoman's fate. Then we get a great moment here with Damien and Cassandra where Damien tells her to get out of the, his room, but she, you know, knocks him down with a martial arts move and Timid is saying, oh, I wish I would have recorded that. So the Bat family's all getting together, except Cassandra. She's not going to be part of the decision process, but we see her kind of listening in on the conversation from like the Raptors atop the Batcave. I just some I just great seeing, you know, the classic Bat family together again. I mean, as much as I've enjoyed the team dynamic and detective uh, since Rebirth began, there's just something special about seeing, you know, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Barbara Gordon, Jason Todd together again, like the original Bat family, so to speak. And that Bruce is, you know, wanting to consult them in this decision process here with Batwoman. And what I really liked about this issue is that Bruce lets everyone have their say and their give their opinions on what they think should happen to Batwoman. And everyone makes really strong opinions, but yet different. And ones where I kind of agree with what everyone's saying, because Tim starts it off with saying he had this dream about, you know, ever since he was a kid and, you know, about being obsessed with Batman and Robin and wanting to, you know, honor what Batman represents and his plans to making Batman eternal and his ideas of creating the perfect system to keep Gotham safe through Batman and the team members and all that. And how Batwoman pretty much betrayed that and how, you know, as he and Cassandra Kane made a point in the last issue of how wearing that bat symbol needs to mean something and has to be better than what Batwoman decided to do in killing Clayface. And I totally agree with that. Then we get Dick Grayson's side of the story, which I also agree with, saying how he's someone who likes to see the best of people and kind of, you know, give them, you know, the benefit of the doubt. He even brings out, you know, that's kind of bitten me before, but that's, that's just who I am. And I believe she earns the ch- she deserves the chance to, you know, make up for what she did and kind of have, you know, have her earn her way back into the Bat family. Not right away, but she deserves that chance, you know, to come back to us. And then Jason gives the other side of things, how he doesn't necessarily have a, have a problem with what a Batwoman did, but he has a problem with Bruce having this meeting with the rest of the family saying, you know, Bruce, this isn't really about what Batwoman did. This is about your ego because she broke one of your precious rules. And, you know, you're, you need to decide on whether, you know, she's able to stay because of that. But it's really about your ego. And then Batwoman or not Batwoman, Batgirl gives you know the biggest explanation and reasons to why batman is doing this and calls him out on certain things which was kind of surprising to see where she pretty much tells batman that you didn't really care about tim's plan and believed in tim's utopia that he thought this new tim team could create you were just using it as a backdrop to get kate as part of your team because you knew her father was coming with the colony and he would bring his daughter in to become a soldier. And that's the last thing you'd want your cousin to be a part of that. So you wanted to pretty much save her before she got caught up with her father and become a soldier like that and do what she did to Clayface kind of more on a regular basis, probably. And Tim just looks at Bruce and he asks him this with a question like, Bruce, like, is this true? And Batman is just silent. He can't has nothing to say to that because it's pretty much true what Barbara is telling him. But then. Uh, pretty much what Barbara calls Bruce out on even further is why she feels he's really having this meeting. This is something where I don't know if it's 100%, but Batman doesn't respond to it either. But she's pretty much tells him, you know, this is really about your connection to Kate Kane and the connection she has to your family and your mother. 
he says she's pretty much the closest connection you have to her mother and you're pretty much pondering and wondering if you know martha would have wanted you to take that shot like kate did since she did and like she said she's the closest connection you have to her and that's why he's really having a hard time you know deciding what to do about kate and being batwoman and all that so just a lot of great and interesting points being brought out by all members of the bat family here which was really cool and Damien was a part of it, too, but he really didn't say anything. He just gave a typical Damien response saying, you know, I don't think we should call any of you Bat family members because I'm the only one who's blood to bruise. So he didn't really add much. But Barbara, Tim, Dick and Jason all made some pretty interesting and valid points. So there's some great character stuff here. And I love reading all of it. But then the issue ends with uh, Kate visiting her mother's tombstone and just, you know, pouring her heart out about everything that's went on saying how she just can't get the look of Cassandra Kane out of her memory. He says her eyes, what taunts her about it is that the same eyes Cassandra had is the same eyes she saw as she was burying her mother after she dies. So and that's a feeling she doesn't want anyone to have. And that kind of motivates her to take her up on her father's offer to joining the colony. And that's where the issue ends, where uh, he comes and he just says, you know, did you make a decision? And she just goes, I'm in. Let's get started. So, again, just a great issue this is a great character study of, you know, Bruce and the relationship to the different members of the Bat family and how they view their mission as crime fighters, which I thought was fascinating. So great issue. Can't wait to see where it goes and how James Sinian is going to end things. So I'm going to give this one another four and a half out of five the movies uh, used with the VHS to DVD converter. That's a lot of movies, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Altogether, I have to do seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half. <laughs> Better get started. And right. if they're the Lord of the Rings movies, it's going to be even longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that's it. Um, uh, go to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook dot, Facebook.com slash the Batman Universe, Twitter handles at Batman Universe, uh, the show's Twitter handles at BatFans Podcast, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. Which and, I should say, happy 311 day weekend oh, <laughs> as okay. we recorded this episode. It's okay, the Sorry, then. Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. <laughs> Thanks. That just made the 311-day weekend even better. Well, I have to do it every 311-day, right? Or at least the show that we do before or after it. Yes. How about every time it's a 311-day or they have a new album out? Okay, sounds good. All right. So I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> so when's the new album coming out? <laughs> they have one coming out this year, but they haven't said what month or what time yeah. frame yet but definitely coming this year and my twitter handle is at dane says banana uh rate and review us on itunes and if you want to email the show you can email the show at backpacks and pants and gmail.com with that if you say at the end of every single episode then we love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts, <laughs> bad hearts. see you guys next time see you later